Hello and welcome to today's episode of Natural Health with CNM, the College of Naturopathic Medicine. I'm your host, Michelle Sanchez. Today I'm joined by nutritional therapist and CNM graduate Melissa Cahill. Melissa is going to be talking to us about hormones and the female reproductive system, in particular the cause of PMS and how PMS can be managed naturally. Now, Melissa is the founder of Nona Nutrition, and she also practices from a busy clinic in Cork in Ireland. Melissa has a special interest in women's health and has undergone further training in the female reproductive system, pregnancy care, and natural fertility management. Melissa helps women establish a healthy diet and lifestyle, enabling them to support their hormones and prevent long-term hormonal complications. Hi, Melissa. How are you? Hello. How are you? I'm very good. Great. I'm good too. Thank you so much for joining me today to share your knowledge and experience. It's really great to have you on the show. Thank you so much. It's very exciting. Great. Right, today we're talking hormones, which is one of my favorite subjects. Uh, but before we get into that, can you please tell us a bit about yourself and what led you to study nutrition? Yeah, so my name is Melissa, as you were saying. And to be honest, my kind of start in nutrition kind of stemmed from a bad relationship with food. It's like in my teenage years, I would have suffered with eating disorders. And I think kind of delving into the side of nutrition and Googling foods and like what was kind of in the commas, good and bad different foods. And I kind of suffered with that over the years. And then eventually the turning point for me was that I actually lost my periods. And I was only about 16. Wow. Um, so I lost my periods and it still took me a while to actually put two and two together and go, okay, I've lost them because I'm not eating. Like practically anything, like staring. <laughs> so it took me a while to kind of go, hey, this is what's happening. And like, I'm an overthinker at the best of times. And I was kind of thinking to myself, freaking myself out going like, I'm 16. What if I don't get them back? What if I can never have kids? And just kind of, you know, spiraling around in my mind <laughs> at the time. And so you know, just not knowing like what was good or bad or, and then I think eventually I managed to get myself out of that and kind of go, Hey, if I lost him because of this, then maybe I can get them back because of food and nutrition and everything. Mm-hmm. And I kind of, I did get help with it a little bit. And then I started researching specifically around period foods and period health. And I did a lot of my own research and toned back the exercise, started gaining weight um, in a healthy way and like they did come back eventually after a few months I hadn't done any kind of irreversible damage or anything but so you know, it's scary like I was about two stone under what's like a healthy weight for my for my body and my body was just running on complete empty like and now I understand why that was happening I understand the mechanisms of what I was doing to myself but like that as a 16 year old I hadn't a clue you know so that's kind of where it stemmed from initially and then I think over the years, um, it was kind of like yo-yo dieting. Like I was everything from seven stone to 13 stone. I tried every diet. It kind of took me a while to come out of that diet mentality, I suppose, and watching what I eat and everything. And it wasn't until kind of later in life, like I'd been through college, I did a business degree, did a childcare degree, and then nothing was kind of sparking my, my passion or interest for a long time and nutrition was always something in the background like I'd always kind of eat well and exercise and kind of have that there but just wasn't 
like my main priority. And then I was kind of in my childcare course going, oh, I just I can't see myself doing it. Um, the love of it wasn't there. And I was like, for something like that, you need to have a passion for it, for minding kids, for being with kids all day. Definitely. You need to have, you know, that love for it. So I was talking to like my boyfriend, Aaron at home. And I was saying, you know, what like I do, like, cause I was working full time at the time. So whatever I did had to be kind of part time. And he was like, well, you're interested in nutrition and exercise. Why don't you do something there? And I originally was going to do a PT course because that obviously had a bit of nutrition in it and it was exercise and I was kind of to and froing. So that took another kind of few months or so before I kind of put any plan in action. I did a, a short kind of 12 week course, I think at the time. And instantly from the first day I was in there and it was basic nutrition, I was just obsessed. <laughs> Absolutely. That was me done. Um, I was getting A's and everything. I couldn't wait to go back the next week. I was sad when it was over. <laughs> I was testing the lecturer going, how do I continue on with this? And she'd given me a few options. And like I was saying, I was working full time, so it had to be kind of part time. So she told me about CNM and I did own little research on it and just loved it. It was the content that I wanted, allowed me to practice in the end. And yeah, that's how I found CNM and ended up studying with them for three years. And it was the best decision I've ever made to be honest it was just everything I wanted from a course was there that's fantastic and sometimes we do need to go around the houses don't we we have to try out all these different things that you said you thought oh maybe it's PT becoming a personal trainer and you do touch on a bit of nutrition I think in those courses basically yeah yeah but then you see you know you found CNM and then you found your passion so which college did you study at in Ireland I studied in Cork Fantastic. So what was the one thing on the course that you learned that was like a light bulb moment for you that was like, aha, it all makes sense now? I don't even know if there's like, it felt like there was a light bulb moment every weekend. To be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like blowing my mind at new information. But I think in like, in, in first year in biomedicine, it's a lot of, it's obviously all bodily systems and stuff. And like the way everything in the body is connected and nothing's in isolation and how we have the power to do so much for our bodies like whether it's good or bad and I've always I've seen that myself obviously with my periods how it damaged my body at the time and I was kind of going oh my god like people don't know this (laughs) are people aware that they have the power to like heal themselves and like a lot of the stories from girls in the class was like that they've been through this and nutrition helped them out of it. And so many stories like those, you know, Crohn's and celiac disease and how people have like, healed themselves from this and through food and through lifestyle. And it's just, it's fascinating. Like I always use the analogy with my clients about their cars. And I say, right, the car you have now, that's the car you're going to have for the rest of your life. Are you yeah. going to look after it? And that's the same with your body. You have to, you know, are you going to put the right fuel in it? Are you going to give it the right engine oil or whatever you do cars yeah. are you going to do all this to help your body to help you know for the rest of your life because you're not going to get another one and I think knowing that from biomed and knowing how much stress affects your body how much sleep affects your body nutrition everything like physical and mental health it's just so important and I think at the time I was like there's nobody talking about this <laughs> you know and but no that's it has to be one of the main things that nothing like your body is constantly trying to help you and trying to bring you back to kind of you know, to homeostasis. Like that was the same with me. Like it stopped my periods to keep me alive. You know, it shut down what didn't 
need to be working at the time so that it kept me breathing it kept my lungs in my ear and you know my heart beating so like that's just to me just amazing it absolutely is and that's such a valid point Melissa it does you know our body it, we kind of go into that fight or flight mode don't yeah, we so exactly yeah. your body's like right well you need to survive here what are we going to do okay let's shut down the period so yeah how has studying nutrition at CNM changed your life apart from your career what other aspects of your life has it changed it's like it's definitely reignited my passion for learning because I had been out of like I'd gone to college and I've been that done that and it was kind of floating for a few years and then it kind of reignited like a passion in me to know stuff and like I would go over a lecture in the weekend and like I'd buy a book the following week like I must have spent hundreds of nutrition books over the few years just wanting to know more the whole time and wanting to know why this was and why that was and how this affects this and like on a personal level has changed my own health and like my family's health definitely on a day-to-day basis. Like my daughter was born with a bowel condition. Yeah. So she had to have surgery when she was six months. And a big thing with that was that she had to have regular bowel movements and things. And because I had my knowledge in nutrition, um, I was able to kind of do that for her and have a special diet for her because we weren't given any information like at the hospital or anything. So if that was somebody else who didn't have the background, they might have been able to kind of cope with the condition as well as we did. And like even my own family, my mother was on blood pressure meds for a long time. And then I kind of worked with her and gave her diet, lifestyle tips, everything like that. And she's come off them, like, you know, so little things like you're not just helping your own family, you're helping your you know, extended family. Like the nutrition qualification itself has opened so many doors for me and I'm only finished a year. So like in that year, there seems to be a lot of stuff kind of, you know, packed into it. Yes. And definitely another thing is the girls that you meet on the way. Like we've had such a laugh in college over the three years. <laughs> and like the crowd you meet, like we're still friends. We meet up regularly. It's great to have that kind of supportive network around you of like like-minded people. We're all very supportive of what each other does. And it's kind of nice to have that to kind of come back to and even to bounce ideas off of, you know, if you're stuck on something, going, you know, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? So it's nice to have that as well, you know. Absolutely. Well, you're all going on that health journey together, not only a study journey, but as you said before, everyone's or a lot of people that come to study nutrition, it's either to help a family member or it's to help themselves with exactly. some sort of condition they've got. Yeah. So you're kind of working through it together, which is really, yeah, exactly. really lovely. So since graduating from CNN, you've built a successful practice as a nutritional therapist, supporting women with hormone issues, pregnancy care, and natural fertility. So how did you get started and what took you in this direction, specializing in this niche? I think it was actually my own pregnancy. Like I got pregnant in the end of biomedicine, the start of Nutrition One. So I think watching myself go through pregnancy, I was just amazed at the the female body and hormones and the ups and downs and then afterwards even to breastfeeding and like what happens like you just you can't be prepared for it and you can't know enough about it and I at the time I didn't know anything much about kind of nutrition for breastfeeding and what can help it and all this so I did a lot of research at the time to support my own kind of self and then through that I was like this is amazing like um and I've always kind of had interest in that because I've had miscarriages as well before. So I was like, why does this happen? Is there anything we can do to help this or not help this? And like fertility and women's health, 
any time that was a topic in class, I was just glued to it. I found myself reading anything extra to do with women's health and fertility. And since then, I've been getting a lot of people kind of with hormonal issues, fertility issues. And there's just not a lot of information out there on what you can kind of help your fertility with naturally. And like obviously, it's not going to work for everybody. There's some conditions that you just you kind of can't help. But 90% of the time, you can do so much with nutrition and lifestyle advice to kind of favor your body in, in in terms of fertility absolutely and I think there's so many different types of hormone conditions and so many women suffer on a daily basis so understanding those hormones which is a complicated subject in itself and break being oh, able God, to break yeah. it down um, into sort of bite-sized chunks so people can understand and once women understand their body and understand what's happening Exactly. Then they're yeah. able to take control and actually put the steps in place to kind of change their diet and lifestyle, etc. Okay, so that moves us on nicely to sort of the hormone health and PMS. So firstly, can you just give us a bit of an overview of the female cycle? What's happening at a cellular level every month and what hormones are involved? So hormones themselves are basically just like a chemical messenger. And they're secreted into your blood and they're carried through different organs and tissues and they all have their specific kind of function. Um, like I was saying before, nothing works in isolation. The body and hormones are, are the same. They all work together and they affect a number of different things, not just like female reproductive health, it's development and growth, your cognitive function, your mood, metabolism of foods, everything. So for me, I generally work with the reproductive health. And in the female cycle, you've your two main hormones that you've probably heard of and everyone's heard of them would be your estrogen and progesterone. Mm-hmm. And these regulate a natural monthly rhythm during your reproductive years and then all the way up to menopause. So estrogen then produced by the ovaries and encourages the growth of your breasts and development of hair distribution during puberty. Your progesterone then is for pregnancy. And has a nice calming effect on the body as well. So basically your cycle runs at the start, your estrogen progesterone remain quite dormant until about puberty at 12 or 13. And that's when the hypothalamus, which is a gland at the base of your brain, instructs the pituitary, which is another kind of gland in your brain, to produce two hormones, which are your follicle stimulating hormone, which is your FSH and your luteinizing hormone, which is your LH. And these two hormones are responsible for the release of an egg from an ovary every month. So when we talk about women's cycles, we talk about it in terms of 28-day cycle. And this is just typical kind of what's gone off. And normally women's cycles go 21, 35 days, which is kind of seven days either side of that 28-day cycle. So the first kind of one to 14 days, be your follicular phase and this is the beginning of your menstrual cycle and at this time your estrogen and progesterone levels will be very low as they've just been shed from your previous period. The hypothalamus then senses that they're low and signals the pituitary gland in the brain to release the first hormone which is your FSH and this is the follicular phase and normally goes on for about 10 days and it basically just ripens the egg and the ovary to try and get it ready for fertilization. Because even though you mightn't want it, every month your body is trying to get pregnant. That's its kind of evolutionary thing to do. It, needs, it wants to get pregnant. 
So your FSH levels gradually rise over the first half of your cycle and this thickens the growth and lining of the womb in anticipation for that egg. And again, that lasts about 10 days. And then on about day 12 of your cycle, your estrogen levels will peak and this will signal back again to the hypothalamus to say, release the other hormone, which is your luteinizing hormone. And this one then is what brings about ovulation and it's what's tested in ovulation kits as well to make sure that you're ovulating. And obviously, obviously ovulation then is the release of the mature egg from the ovary. So in that space that's left behind the ovary, that gets filled with blood and specialized cells and it builds up to become this structure called the corpus luteum. And this is an amazing structure. It kind of it comes out of nowhere and it makes a functioning kind of being in the body. And this now takes over the production of estrogen and progesterone for your second half of your cycle, which is the luteal phase. And estrogen and progesterone need to be there in quite high quantities if fertilization is to occur. So after all this, then you have two options. If the egg isn't fertilized, then the corpus luteum will break down and the blood vessels that were supplying that nice womb lining goes into spasm and your lining is shed, which is your monthly period, your monthly bleed. And because your corpus luteum was um, the manufacturing site for these estrogen and progesterone, that obviously goes with it. And then your estrogen and progesterone levels are back to being really low, which again signals back up to the hypothalamus that they're low and the whole cycle starts again. And then the other option is if pregnancy does occur and the egg is fertilized and the corpus luteum still continues to produce estrogen and progesterone in large enough quantities until about 12 or 14 weeks when the placenta kind of takes over. That's mainly what happens on a kind of cellular level over the month. And I just think it's fascinating. (laughs) Absolutely. And I was just thinking the same, that the body is just amazing, especially the female body. There's so much going on. So much going on. And it's just just happening over and over again. And as you say, it's phenomenal. I just want to circle back to the point that you made at the beginning when you when you said when you stopped eating so what's happening there so when you stop when a woman stops eating or it, again when they're doing excessive exercise sometimes a lot of women find that their periods stop so what's happening there when that happens yeah so if you lose your periods it's um, medically it's called amenorrhea and that's losing your periods if you've previously had periods or if you're not on contraceptives, obviously contraceptives job is to stop that. So if you don't have any conditions and you lose your period, it could be your diet and lifestyle habits, which was the case in my case. And what happens there kind of goes back to like evolutionary um, systems in the body where it goes, hey, she's not eating enough. Is this the right environment for a baby to, to flourish? Is this actually... Like she needs to survive. So any energy she does bring into the body, we have to keep her heart beating. We have to keep her lungs breathing and they can shut down the female organs because your body likes you to make your female hormones, but it doesn't need you to make female hormones. Mm -hmm. It can survive without you having periods, but it can't survive without your heart beating, without your lungs breathing. So it kind of just shuts down anything unnecessarily. It's like, you know, when you have your phone and the battery is dying, and it, yep. it comes up to say, shut down Instagram or Facebook because they're not needed. But yes. you have to make calls. It's that kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's what I like to kind of say <laughs> to people. It just shuts down what's not necessary. So that's what happened to me that time. So obviously I didn't know it at the time. 
So just moving on to PMS, a premenstrual syndrome. This is a term used to describe the emotional and physical symptoms that can occur one to two weeks before a woman's period. So about up to 80% of women report having some symptoms prior to menstruation, and these can vary woman to woman, and it usually eases around when their period starts. But for some women, the symptoms can be prolonged. So... PMS is categorized into four groups, so based on the symptom type. So can you please talk us through these groups and the symptoms associated with each one? Yeah. So as you were saying, it's premenstrual syndrome, so that would kind of say that it's a collection of things. It's not just one thing, and there's over 150 different types of symptoms that can kind of fall into these categories. We have four main ones, which would be your PMS anxiety, your PMS cravings, your PMS hyperhydration, and your PMS depression. A lot of women could have bits and pieces from each. A lot of people just have one. Um, I know myself, I kind of delve between one or two of them. But the first one that we'll talk about would be anxiety. Um, and that's thought to be caused by an estrogen kind of dominance. Progesterone could be low. And the symptoms here could include things like irritability, mood swings, nervous tension, et cetera, that kind of thing. People get generally just more anxious the week or two before their period. Then you have your cravings, which is, are you PMS kind of hangry every month? Mm-hmm. And generally the cravings would be carb, carbohydrate cravings or sweet cravings. And many women with this struggle and even find themselves like eating uncontrollably or binging. And the problem here comes in is that it's an important one to identify in that if you're doing this every month, kind of continuously and under, over or uncontrollably binging, it can create kind of wobbly sugar levels, which will eventually influence our sex hormones, which in turn kind of gets you into this vicious cycle of your blood sugar imbalance, which just makes your hormones go even more haywire than before. So with this kind of symptoms, it's important that you try and make better choices with your cravings. Instead of your chocolate or your refined sugars, try your your sweet berries. Staying away from those refined sugars for more nuts and seeds and whole grains, healthy fats, things like that. Because it's our healthy fats and our proteins that are going to slow the release of these sugars into the bloodstream Mm -hmm. and kind of balance out our blood sugar levels a little bit. That's just an important one that if you're kind of uncontrollably binging or eating every month, just to be a bit more aware because what you could be doing, giving into all these cravings could just be causing more damage in the long term. You have your hyperhydration then, which is PMSH. And this is basically just the bloating and water retention that comes with PMS and it might make your genes feel a little snug or kind of weight gain. Like some women report up to two, three kg on the scales around the time of your period. Like it's not fat, obviously, it's just water retention in your body. And while some people assume that drinking more water will add to it, it's actually the opposite. So if you're drinking water, there's less for your body to cling on to. So drinking more will kind of help with the water retention. And here, I think it's important to cut back on your carbonated, your fizzy drinks, your caffeine, your sodium, because these will all add to the water retention and try to get kind of a litre and a half, two litre of water in. And then you kind of have the, the, the PMSD, which is PMS depression. And it's when some people just feel really, really down, really depressed before their period. Teary, confused, withdrawn. There is stuff you can do to help them, obviously, as well. 
Thanks for explaining those. And as you say, you know, some women, it can be a combination of each of those. So definitely, you touched on some of the causes, but what are some other causes of PMS and why do these symptoms vary from woman to woman? Well, I suppose everyone is different anyway and everyone's diet and lifestyle is different and there's no like exact cause of PMS as yet. It's thought to be hormonal changes that trigger the symptoms and like estrogen and progesterone are really powerful enhancers of mood and metabolism. Like estrogen itself boosts serotonin, which is our happy hormone in the brain. So if you're getting a drop of estrogen around the time of the month, it's plausible that could trigger symptoms. It's thought too that high levels of stress, poor diet can have an effect. Inflammation in the body can all be kind of greater risks of people going under kind of more severe forms of PMS. But yeah, certain things can exacerbate the PMS symptoms as well. Like it's the usual suspects, to be honest, are lack of sleep, lack of exercise, smoking, excessive drinking, caffeine, alcohol, stress, bad food choices, all the usual kind of suspects can exacerbate your PMS symptoms in some people. But the good news then for like me as a nutritional therapist, if somebody comes with those kind of suspects for it, it's it's good because they're kind of easy to correct. You can help people with their diet and lifestyle and that will make improvements in their body response to their menstrual cycle and help to reduce their symptoms of PMS. Absolutely. So you touched on some of those things that exacerbate PMS. So can you just talk us through maybe a couple, say, caffeine for example like people drinking coffee how specifically would that exacerbate symptoms so caffeine its main function is it's a, it's a stimulant and this can be infected to the body can cause inflammation especially if you're adding sugars and things to as well it can cause headaches um, nervousness especially sleep disturbances as well so if you're drinking at late into even time it can be interrupting your sleep and it's statistically kind of common to have a higher risk in people with depression and fatigue. So Melissa, are there any other factors which disrupt hormones such as stress, toxins or environmental issues? Yeah, so high stress has kind of been shown to increase the risk of, or I suppose, the severity of PMS. It can block progesterone receptors, it can impair ovulation and stress actually like depletes the vital nutrients that are needed for healthy hormones like your B vitamins, your magnesium, your healthy fats. So if you're under this stress, again, it's the kind of fight or flight mode your body goes into. And if like stress now, I think is different to stress that we've had years ago. Like years ago when your body was under stress, it was running away from something like a proper danger. Whereas now I think stress is like 50,000 emails and work and, you know, yes. family life and people take a lot on, I think, nowadays. And that can, like your body doesn't know the difference between that and if you're running away from a tiger or whatever, you know. So your body goes into this fight or flight mode. And again, like the, like the period situation, it will cut off things that aren't needed and deplete the vital nutrients that we need for our hormones. And I, I don't think people, maybe people are starting to realise that lifestyle can affect their periods. And with things like stress, um, it's the stress you're under now that can actually affect your periods up to three months down the line because it, the follicles in your in your body mature over 100 days. So if you're under severe stress right now, it might not even show in your next period. It could be two months down the line where you have a particularly 
painful period or, you know, so I think it's important for us to de-stress a bit. And like stress and sleep would be the main ones because like I was saying, with sleep, it's the same thing. If you get a bad night's sleep, you're disrupting your kind your body's sleep hormones in your that's going to affect your eating hormones, your leptin and ghrelin the next day, and then you're going to be snacking, your blood sugar's off, and then it's just like this vicious little cycle that people kind of can't seem to get out of at the moment. Absolutely. And I think that when you're sort of talking about stress as well, it's sort of the stress that we sort of experience nowadays is chronic stress yeah. and constant like people are always is this you know we're all so busy all the time we're constantly mm. overloading ourselves with all these things and even things like social media and um technology that causes us another stress in other ways so yeah i think in terms of how to sort of manage your pms which we're going to talk about now one of the things is looking at your lifestyle looking at the stresses looking at how you can reduce your load somehow mm. so okay so if we talk about some natural solutions for PMS now to help alleviate yeah. these uncomfortable symptoms now what dietary and lifestyle factors should women with PMS consider and are there any nutritional supplements which can support hormone health to alleviate these symptoms yeah there's there's a lot you can do in your diet um, and lifestyle to kind of improve symptoms I suppose dietary it's it'll be about balancing your hormones, getting all the specific nutrients that are needed for hormones. So like eating regular meals, definitely eating meals with protein again, because that's the slow release of sugar into your bloodstream. Like you want your blood sugar levels balanced. So things like increasing your whole grain carbohydrates, so your brown rice, your oats, your pasta, etc. These all have a balancing effect on your blood sugar and encourages your body's production of your serotonin, which again is your happy hormone. And again, your fruit and veg are vital um, as much as you can. Like I try and get 10 fruit and veg in a day. And then like I was saying, swapping your fruit and veg or your other kind of snacks for fruit and veg increases that again. So it could be your carrot sticks in hummus, could be your berries if you're craving something sweet. Just getting as much in as you can. And with veg, I think it's the cruciferous veg are particularly important for women. So this is your broccoli, your Brussels sprouts, your cabbage, your cauliflower, bok choy. These all contain substances which help your estrogen detoxification in the body. Um, again, fibre, which all these kind of fall under. Again, it's important to get enough fibre to eliminate any toxins that you have in the body. Um, another big one would be healthy fats. Now your hormones are made from fats. So if you don't have the raw materials as such, you can't make the goods. I think people are sometimes afraid of eating fat because it's got a bad rap a few years ago. Mm -hmm. But you need to be getting your omega-3s in your diet. So you need your oily fish, you need your nuts and seeds, like flax seeds, chia seeds, pumpkin seeds, avocados, nut butters. They're all vital to your your hormone health. Like I think it's 90% of people don't actually eat enough omega-3 in their diet. Um, so that's a huge one. Again, what I'd always be encouraging as well is magnesium foods. So magnesium is such an important mineral to include in your diet. And some studies are saying it's the cause of PMS because it's obviously to do with relaxation in the body and everything. But that includes, again, your dark green leafy vegetables, your nuts, seeds, 
reducing refined sugars, increasing water, and try just get as much anti-inflammatory foods into your body as possible. Even spices, if you're cooking, your ginger, garlic, turmeric, all these things as well. So there's lots you can do diet-wise. And it's generally just like a nice, big, healthy, balanced diet. Looking at your plate to go, right, do I have a source of healthy fat? Do I have a nice, slow-releasing carbohydrate? And do I have a good quality protein, whether that's meat or plant protein? Absolutely. All about balance, isn't it? All about balance. You feel sick of saying it. Like people want this kind of secret and you're like, it's just balance. <laughs> Absolutely. There's no secret, unfortunately. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm so glad you touched on magnesium because I'm a big fan of magnesium and especially with PMS symptoms, you know, it really helps with the cramping because it's a muscle relaxant. It helps with anxiety, low mood, and also with those cravings because it helps to, it's one of the key minerals in blood sugar regulation as well. So yeah, that's my number one supplement for PMS that people come to me be magnesium for everything you said is just fantastic. You know, calming effect, cravings, alleviates. Because obviously, if your period, it's your uterus contracting. So having that magnesium will help relax the muscles in your uterus. And it's a fantastic supplement. It's like a miracle mineral. Absolutely. No, I love that. So do you use B6? So B6 is another one that's good to use in combination with yeah. magnesium. Exactly. That's another one. I, I generally use magnesium, B6, some fish oils, and then kind of Agnes Castus. So with B6, um, there's loads of studies showing its treatment in PMS. And it's like, it's essential for reducing inflammation, for the synthesis of progesterone, and it helps kind of alleviate the, phys- uh, the psychological symptoms as well. So your mood, irritability, anxiety, Sometimes it depends on the client. I'll just tell them to get like a bee complex because a lot of the bees kind of work synergistically together. Um, but sometimes then like a B6 on its own would, would be enough to suffice. Great. And now what are your thoughts on evening primrose oil? Because I know quite often I get a lot of patients coming in and saying, well, what about evening? I've got evening primrose oil. Does it work? So what are your thoughts on that for PMS? I don't tend to recommend it much, to be honest. I'd kind of go more the omega-3 side of things and go like a fish oil or a krill oil. Um, Like omega-3 is anti-inflammatory and it's not just good for hormonal health. You have joint, cardiovascular, brain health. And that's been shown to alleviate a lot of symptoms of PMS and also like cravings prior to menstruation as well. And you can get nice um, fish oils at the moment that have like B6 and stuff in them. So I prefer to go down that route of um, an omega-3 rather than something like even primrose oil, which can be kind of pro-inflammatory in some people as well if you take too much. Yes. And you touched on Vitex, a chase tree, which is a herb, which is fantastic for PMS and hormone regulation. Can you just Mm. tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so I think it's just with the Vitex Agnes Pastas, it is a fantastic herb and everything from PMS to fertility to menopause, it can help with a lot of hormone balancing problems in the body for relieving mood, for fluid retention, for breast tenderness, painful periods, heavy periods, everything. And what it does in the body is it acts on the pituitary and that increases the progesterone and it reduces your prolactin. It can enhance ovulation, which obviously facilitates conception. And so it's popular sometimes for fertility. And again, it can be taken if you're on the pill. 
the contraceptive pill because it can reduce the efficacy of the pill. Um, but definitely if you're not on the pill um, and you're having kind of hormone balancing issues, I would recommend, I've had so much good feedback on Agnes Castus. And it's generally better to take it in the morning too, because that's when your pituitary is kind of more responsive. That's why I generally get clients to do. I've taken it myself and it's just, it's a fantastic herb. It is, it really definitely is. Definitely worth, or taking the go. And because a lot of women that have PMS actually do have, tend to have researchers and they do tend to have higher prolactin levels. So that's why Chase Tree or Agnes yeah, Castus exactly. works so well. But just wanted to highlight there before taking any herbs, it's always best to do this under a practitioner. So whether it's a naturopath, herbalist or nutritionist, because yeah. you, you know, with, with yes. herbs. And supplement even, I definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because yeah. with herbs, there can be contraindications. Mm-hmm. So with some medications yeah. or the oral contraceptive pills. So best to get that um, yeah. under supervision. Definitely. Just before we move on, I just wanted to touch a little bit on plastics and especially sort of water bottles and their role on hormone health in terms of the estrogens. Could you just talk to us a little bit about that, please? Yeah, so I actually did a post on this. I did a series of posts on how plastics and stuff affect fertility recently on my Instagram. And there's so many different types of synthetic chemicals out there in the market. Some are put into food. Others are directly kind of up the food chain in food and packaging and processing. And many of them like act like hormones and interfere with our natural hormones in the body. Um, I suppose plastic compounds, specifically, I suppose like BPA, are found in your cans, your cling films, your water bottles. Even if um, you have like a plastic container that you bring food and work. And these mimic the role of estrogen in the body. And they can stimulate the growth of hormone sensitive tissues, which are xenoestrogens, which are basically just kind of foreign estrogens to the body. So I suppose the way you can cut back on that would be to get more natural products. If you're using the plastic water bottle, just switch it out for glass water. Like all the containers in the house that I'd have would be kind of mostly glass, especially heating food. If you're heating food in a plastic container, like in the microwave, that's just leaching into your food and you're putting that in the body. And there's loads of research out there now, especially in terms of fertility and um, that I did recently. And there's so much out there about that and how it affects your fertility, um, minimizing the food and drink in bottles as that can lead to or mimic estrogen in the body, switching to things like natural deodorants and cosmetics. Like people don't realize even what they're washing their hair with or what makeup they're putting on their face. These are the, you know, the toxins that are kind of leaching into our systems. So I think it's important for people to be more aware of what they're putting in and what they're using in terms of their cans and their bottles and things like that, but not just on the environment, but for their own kind of hormonal health as well. I, I don't think it's something people have quite put together yet, that there's the plastic and the use of all these things that could be causing kind of issues for their bodies. Absolutely. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? We sort of don't, we're not just getting toxins from the food we're eating we're also getting it from the air we breathe so if you're using like a deodorant you're not only it's not only leaching in through the skin it's 
you're breathing it in as well. So, yeah. and all those products and all the ones that smell lovely, that's all toxins. You, <laughs> you just don't want these exactly. toxins in your body, do you? So, no, definitely not. And a big one, I think a lot of people are probably guilty of this, is um, having water bottles and reusing yeah. them. And also, a big no no yeah. is definitely don't leave your water bottle in the car and the heat. And what's happening when the heat gets onto the bottle, it's actually leaching those plastics and those chemicals into the water. And then as a result, you drink the water and then that's just flooding through your body. So, And especially if you, if you have any kind of like existing hormonal condition, this is just adding, adding to it the whole time. So it's just something to be aware of with people. I think people are starting to move away from plastic, but I think it's from more point, more of an environmental point of view than people realizing what's actually doing to their hormones you know absolutely but I think you know your tip there glass all the way where possible yes and it's just reusing everything like I've I've old jam jars old coconut oil jars that I refill and put other things into in the fridge and I just try not to kind of throw them away because they come in handy for something even though Aaron tells me that I have a you know, an obsession with keeping all these glass bottles. <laughs> but I always find a use for them, so. <laughs> Definitely, I'm exactly the same. You know, if you can reuse it, why not? It'll come in handy someday. Well, that's all we've got time for today. Thanks for listening and a big thank you to Melissa Carhill for sharing her wisdom and health journey with us. You can find all the information discussed today and more about Melissa in the show notes on the CNM website. That's at www.cnm podcast.com if you're interested in learning more about nutrition check out cnm's short course nutrition for everyday living or the naturopathic nutrition diploma which is the one that melissa did for a more in-depth study program join us again next week where i talk to naturopath and herbalist Gemma herditch about skin health and ways to reduce common skin complaints such as acne and blemishes naturally Thanks so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you subscribe through your favorite podcatcher so you don't miss any future episodes. While you're there, we'd love it if you could leave us a rating or review as this helps us when creating new content.